This episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Intercontinental San Francisco Hotel. They hosted our podcast in the Bay Area during preseason, and we met a bunch of wonderful Madridistas, and thank you for coming. It was lovely meeting you all. By the way, if you book now at the Intercontinental, you can get parking and internet in a package. Special savings for you. Drive to their San Francisco Hotel. You can combine two of their most popular offers with parking and high-speed internet included in their special rate. Book now directly on their website. And a really great shout-out to Intercontinental. They hooked us up, and it's a great location. We walked to the stadium and back, did our podcast there. It was, it was awesome. Uh, coming up is a podcast on Real Madrid's transfer strategy. Some would joke, lack thereof, but Jose Perez and I, we kind of discuss why Real Madrid have been a bit more pragmatic and conservative in the last few years, uh, and if that is paying off for them or not, and what it means for the future, and kind of going back also to the Mourinho era and before that, and what it was then and what it is now. So we break that down. Hope you'll enjoy it. I think you will. It's a nice, uh, nice discussion with Jose, as it always is with him. So enjoy it, and as always, we're going to get started with the voices of Ray Hudson and Derek Ray to set us up, and let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there, and worth reading about that man there. Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Times ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1, some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website frustrate podcast as well of course Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation hello and welcome to a Friday edition of the Managing Madrid podcast I am your host Kian Sabani and I'm thrilled today to be bringing on Jose Perez who I've been reading his tweets for uh, I'd say two to three weeks now. He's been very active talking about Barcelona's financial situation. He's very, been very vocal talking about transfers and chiming in on this player and that player. And this was long overdue because uh, I don't like to just read Jose's tweets. I like to actually converse with him on a podcast. So it's nice to have Jose back. Jose, of course, is also in between all of these analysis is going to PSV games regularly uh, also and, and dissecting Ruud van Nistelrooy's tactics and whatnot. So Jose, welcome back to the show. How are you? All right. Th- thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Kian. Yep. It's always nice to be uh, back and talking about Real Madrid. Uh, I think I've done enough like talking crap about Barca finances, at least for now, because <laughs> the subject gets a bit rep- like at, at a certain point, you feel that you end up going in cycles yes. uh, with with Barca fans. It's like and they're never going to understand my point. I'm not going to understand their point. And it's like, OK, let's just agree to disagree. Yeah, uh, it is like it is funny because it's like when you look at the transfer dealings, sometimes it feels like uh, Real Madrid is the club in financial trouble because they are the ones who are making the conservative decisions. So it is it is it is amusing uh, to see that. And, and sometimes, of course, from the perspective of Real Madrid fans, it becomes like a bit frustrating to think it's like the club has the money. Why is the club so conservative? Uh, in the way it, when it comes to player transfers. Uh, so it seems like over the last uh, uh, three years or so, the club has gotten particularly conservative and picky about who it wants to sign. 
which is a great segue to exactly what we're going to be talking about today for the next 20 minutes or so. So, you know, it's funny because the conservatism side of things is not something we're necessarily used to as Real Madrid fans. It really depends on what era you grew up in, I suppose. Uh, for me, it was 98, so it was a period of financial turmoil that Lorenzo Sanz had put us in. Uh, a great president, but didn't necessarily have a grapple on the financial side of things. And so we we brought in some players. We also had an exodus of players in 98. We had to sell a bunch of, of players who helped us win the Champions League the year, uh, year or two before. And when, when Lorenzo Sanz came in and, you know, or sorry, when Florentino Perez came in, uh, he started to do these big splashes and making these financial moves and stuff. And then, so obviously we've been treated to the 2009 Galactico era as well. And since then, I would I would say in the last few years, this has changed, right, Jose, a little bit. And it's interesting because a lot of fans, I think, it's one thing if you followed up this conservative transfer strategy of the past few years being frugal with your signings and it's a little bit it, look to be quite honest it's not entirely frugal i think if you add up all the tallies of the the jovic's the hazards the militao the vinicius's the rodrigo's uh the chuomenis it actually does add up quite a bit but relatively speaking not only to our own history but also towards what other clubs are doing in the transfer market it's pretty tame but i think if you actually like followed up this conservatism with lack of silverware, it would be one thing I, that for fans to get angry about. But this has just been a, a dynasty that just doesn't end. It's just being stretched from La Decima. And it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going. So it seems to have been panned out from a success point of view anyway. But I, so where do you want to start, Jose? Do you want, like, how far do you want to go back to, in, when, like, just to, to just as a launching pad? I think as a launching pad, I just want to look a bit about, like, just look a bit about, like, the evolution of, like, uh, Real Madrid's transfer policy, like, over the last decade. So, basically, Florentino Perez's second tenure, because it's still interesting to see a bit the evolution there, like, when he comes in in 2009, with still of a similar mindset as before of, like, the good old, like, virtue cycle of, like, keep buying the best players and trying to reap the rewards out of that in all senses, uh, financial, uh, sporting-wise, uh, which, by the way, like that kind of virtual cycle, virtual cycle that Florentino advocated for, is similar to the one that Laporta advocates for now, or or as he did also in his previous tenure. Um, so they started with that. Uh, of course, they had to face. It would have gone well if it weren't for the fact that they had to face the best Barcelona in history, and that required the club to make a particularly interesting sacrifice, which is this has always been a players over system club, players over coach. And for about three years, they really handed the club uh, to Mourinho, who would who was going to be the one who had control over transfer decisions, over the players. Like, I, I think like it's a pretty, like Mourinho is a pretty unique phenomenon because it, it, had, it, had been, it was the first time in a while where the club really gave that much control uh, to a single coach that of course affected the tra- like affected the transfer dealings of the club because of course the signings were what what Mourinho wa- wa- was looking for uh and then afterwards uh the club starts doing uh adapting a bit its transfer strategy where it goes into some of them were interesting bets on the field like you can start seeing how how we move towards the transfer strategy that uh, that the club has now, which is 
they start doing some interesting bets on the future, like the signing of Rafa Varane, like the signing of Fisco, uh, taking advantage of certain good market opportunities like Tony Kroos. Uh, you can start seeing those details, but still they splashed out on certain players. Like there was still the splashing on James Rodriguez. There was still when it was not necessary that summer when you already had Di Maria, the, the signing uh, of Garrett Bale, which was very useful, but still like it's more like it, it's almost as if the club is a lot more conservative about doing those superstar signings now. And then, and then after 2016, 2017, well, They accumulated like so many players over that over say 2013 to 2016 that they end up with that monster squad that Zidane got for the 2016-2017 season, which again was one of the greatest squads I have ever seen in my life, in the sense that you could put two 11s that could have perfectly challenged for like top three in La Liga. Um Uh, and from then on, uh, the club has just ramped down and gotten a lot more conservative in its decisions. We had the club had then that summer of 2019 where it felt like spending big again. Saw that the results of that were very mixed, so somewhere between mixed to negative, and it looks like that confirmed uh, their feelings of like, okay, we're probably not doing that kind of spending again. And I think that's kind of where the club is at at the moment. What do you think? Well, there's a lot of things I I I I'd like to say, and and because you touch on a lot of things, and I I do think I I would be very curious to know, like, if Mourinho was the coach now, how much our transfer strategy would be different, because mm -hmm. he would be a kind of coach who would be much more vocal and like, I want this, I want this, I want this. Whereas Ancelotti seems to be more of a figure who's like. Whatever squad you give me, I'll reinvent some some players. <laughs> I'll make some weird tweaks and I'll make it work, you know. And um, and so be, I'd be curious to see like what the contrast would be if Mourinho was here, for example. But obviously that's uh, that ship has long sailed, so that's not going to happen. But uh, you know, Mourinho was always the guy like I want two players deep in each position. And technically speaking, we have that right now. Um, it just depends on do you consider Mariano a, a second striker or do you consider him a non-existent player? Uh, would Mourinho have valued Luka Jovic or not? And I think this is interesting because like, when you talk about 16-17, for example, that squad and how deep that was, uh, the one thing about 16-17, I, I said it during that season and I've been saying it every, every season since, that is not sustainable to have a team that yes. good that deep like it's like never you, that that was always going to end it just was not to say it was going to end good or bad it's just it was going to end at some point because you look at the players who were on the bench Kovacic is the poster boy of this Kovacic is not going to be part of team B forever you know and uh, he he's just going to want to go and play and so that so that was not sustainable necessarily and if you have it for one or two years it's a bit of an anomaly and and ultimately you're going to lose some of your bench players who want to go start elsewhere i think that the depth we have right now in midfield is an exception to that rule because it the timeline actually works yeah. the timeline with the chuomenis the kamavingas etc works with the timeline the mortis and cruz being being phased out in a year or two or whatever the years are right And there's an expectation set from the start. Like you're coming in, you're working your way in. They know that, the club knows that, and, and everyone knows that. So it, it, that works, I think. Um, but I think the it's, it's, it's one of those things where I think 
the sporting vision side of things, even though we don't have a sporting director, has been a bit better. It's not to say that the club hasn't made any mistakes. I think there's been plenty of mistakes we've made. Hazard was a mistake in retrospect. Although, in my opinion, like if we put if we put ourselves in a time machine at that time, I would argue Hazard was a player that would have been very useful if he had been healthy. He yeah. was in Chelsea. He was an unbelievable line breaker and creator. And we were desperately needing someone to help Benzema on the offensive side of things. It worked out in a way because Vinicius rose, but I would argue at the time it made sense. Uh, there are alternating views to that. I know Ohm said, I remember Ohm being at the time like, he's not going to score goals like Cristiano Ronaldo, so this is not really a replacement. And my view was like, well, nobody's going to score goals like Cristiano Ronaldo. We need one of the best attacking players in the world to help our offense. And Hazard was that at the time, so that didn't work out. Um, and Jovic, you could argue, like, we keep on, like, if you look at Jose, like, all the names we've been linked to this summer that fans are crying about, Sesco, uh, Broja, um... Oh, yeah, I, there's a bunch of names there. That... Whoever's, I'm, like, none of these guys were as good, are as good now as Jovic was when we signed him from Frankfurt. Nope. And... So... And so I, I I would argue Jovic at the time was a good signing too because we were all crying for a backup for Benzema and, and Jovic was doing incredible things at Frankfurt. And now it's one thing to have that vision and sporting direction in place. It's another thing to like when you bring that player in, will the coach actually use that player or like that player? It didn't seem like Zidane or Ancelotti were too enamored with Jovic in the way he played or whatever it was the way he carried himself. Maybe it was the lack of ability to do some of the stuff Benzema was doing or just the sheer fact that Benzema couldn't be dropped. That's a combination of a bunch of things. But, I mean, like, so, like, uh, these things are a little bit tough, but, like, how would you... How do you think, Jose, that the this transfer strategy has panned out? Has it been successful or should it have been different the last few years? So, from my perspective, I feel that sometimes the club gets too conservative as in uh, there are certain like th there really seems to be like a bit of an all or nothing mentality right now in the, with this, uh, with this transfer policy in that you either get the best, the very best Mbappe. in their positions. Yeah. yeah. Like if you either get the very best in their positions or you get nothing, but there's no intermediate. And there is like, I think there is there are pros and cons to it. So, um, and I'm gonna do and I'm gonna make this example by comparing a bit to Barcelona. I don't. Th so I think Barcelona did like some good operations there. Like for example, taking advantage of the market opportunity for Lewandowski, uh, getting Kunde, who honestly for a player of his potential, like fifty to sixty million, like that's actually quite nice. But spending for like I think what the what Spanish clubs shouldn't be doing is spending Premier League uh, transfer fees on talent that's good but not great. And by that, I'm thinking about guys like Ferran Torres or Rafinha. To me, those kinds of signings are not... Careful, the Barca guys, are, they're going to come out of the forest. They, they, hear, they have a sixth sense for these things. They're coming. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of the way I see it, that I think clubs uh, like... Spanish clubs cannot afford to do that. You cannot go and afford and pay like 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 Spurs does, like sixty million for Richarlison. Like, you 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 get these players on market opportunities. If you can find one of these, like if these guys are on the last year of their contract and you can get them for cheap or on a free, 
uh, you get them. But spending Premier League amounts of money on this kind of talent, I don't think is viable for Spanish clubs at the moment, given the difference in income with Premier League clubs and given the financial regulations of the league. Like, it doesn't seem like a sustainable way of doing it. So I do understand, in a way, why the club, why Real Madrid now is being a bit all or nothing. It's like, if we're going to spend, let's just do it for the very best. And if not, we just take advantage of market opportunities whenever they show up. And wait. And meanwhile, wait. But sometimes there are certain things like, uh, uh, like to, to give a comparison of a club that's having fra- a surprisingly rational summer, uh, it's PSG that goes and signs like Renato Sanchez for 15 million. Like it's not going to be like a player that's going to start, but it's a useful squad pickup. Uh, Nordi Mukiele from, uh, from Leipzig, another good pickup for like the right, as a backup right back for like 20 million. Like, like those are nice pickups that you can have that are not going to be superstar players, but they're good for the squad building. And I think the club, and I think Real Madrid is avoiding even doing those kinds of signings. And that's my main disagreement. I wish they they did at least those like more affordable pickups. I do think that we are in no condition though to spend, uh, to spend say 50 to 60 million on a guy who's not going to be like top of the line. That that it, that I do agree with. So you bring up a lot of interesting points, and I agree with a lot of those points you make. I think it it is interesting because, so like the market opportunity thing, which has been the transfer strategy of late, which we've discussed all those market opportunities, which we've capitalized on or haven't capitalized on in the past few years. We've already talked about them, so I don't want to get into it again. Who those players were, but uh, I do think that even based on our market opportunity philosophy that we have right now. We have made mistakes. We have passed yes. on. We have passed on good market opportunities. You maybe brought exactly. up some right there. Um, I I because like I think it's important for me to say this too because I think a lot of people feel like I defend the club too much on everything we do with the transfer market, and that's probably a fair criticism of me. But I also think that there have been instances in the past that I've criticized the club on certain decisions they haven't made, and or decisions that they made I defended them, and I've been wrong about that. So, for example. Um, I remember which summer was it that Iguain went to Milan? I can't remember. Um, anyway, it was it was like a couple years ago or something, right before he went to Inter Miami. And I remember, like, we were like going through like the list of backup striker options, and because uh, we really felt we needed one for Benzema, and we thought like, well, if Iguain went to Milan for peanuts, why don't we just pick him up, you know, like as a backup and stuff like that? And it turns out like it it's fine that the club passed on that opportunity, right? And but the one like this summer, for example, that I really think that we were I didn't really understand. And I I guess it goes back to the fact that we or you and I, I think, are on the same page as this, have a different interpretation of what a good opportunity, a good market opportunity is and the club does. Right. Like, I thought if if you're going for market opportunities, Gnabry was sitting right there and it wasn't too expensive. Uh Leroy Sané, I was a little bit on the fence about, mm. about uh, so I'm not going to push that agenda too much. But Gnabry is definitely one. Um, I did not see Rafinha as a market opportunity. Uh, no. Who else? Can't remember who else got sold this window. I think you are on, I are on the same page on this one. If Bernardo Silva is available, that's miss opportunity. Yes. So, yes. And I, yeah. to me, Bernardo Silva falls into like a slightly different category in that 
I think Bernardo, uh, like guys like uh, like Tramini, Bernardo, maybe next year if the club wants to go for Reese James or Jude Bellingham are like talents of a magnitude that the club is willing to pay uh, whatever. Actually, I don't know if the club, like I see Bernardo in that category. I don't know if the club sees Bernardo. Like I feel, I have a feeling that Real Madrid will not pay whatever for Bernardo. I would, but that's a different story. Um, so, which is why I have a feeling that even if Bernardo Silva were available right now, I'm, I don't think the club would go for him because it's I like, don't think so either. Because it's not in market opportunity. So, so those are just things where my vision differs a bit from the club. But, um, uh, but yeah, but I, to me, Bernardo is another, is another interesting opportunity. And in my opinion, a player that you should go no matter what. Um, but that's kind of the cat. Like if, if I look at the targets that the club has right now is like kind of the Tramini or Mbappé, like the player who is so good that we pay whatever is necessary for it. There's the market opportunity player. Uh, and then there are like the young bets that we're going to see that we don't spend that much. Like it's like the Hendricks, the uh, what's the name of this kid that came for right back Tobias or. Vinicius Tobias. Yeah. Yes. Um, the, like those are the kids that we're doing like the smaller bets. And then we see uh, we see how they pan out. And, and that seems to be like the three categories of players that the club is targeting at the moment. And I think. And I think those are pretty reasonable categories. At this point, the main re- uh, the main difference is that, for example, you and I will have with the club is that what we consider a market opportunity or a player that's valuable enough to spend now, like those things, we might have differences uh, uh, of opinion there. But yeah, yeah, and, and that that's probably going to be the case probably for the rest of our lives. And I, and I think um, and I think the club is pretty scarred on the contracts they've given in the past that have really handcuffed them. The Bale contracts, yeah. the Jovic's contract, the Hazard contract. And I think they're just like, they're done. They're done. Yeah. They're done with it. They're like, if we're going to give out big contracts, it's going to be to really, really good young players. It's not going to be to someone who's 30 or over or close to it or someone who's mediocre but not great or doesn't have a great ceiling. I, I think they're just being really careful about it now because they don't want to be handcuffed anymore. And I, and I think yeah, that's yeah. understandable. Yeah. And I think there's a certain piece that I got. Like, I, I know that Liverpool and Salah ended the speculation pretty early mm. in the summer, but uh, there was, I, I had a certain piece where I noticed there wasn't any, like, major rumors of, like, Salah going to Real Madrid because I felt like if the club, as good as he is, if the club had really been interested in signing him, in signing him it really would have meant that no lessons were learned from Asar. Like, because it would have been a similar... Because that's the thing. Like, I think a lesson that has to be learned for big clubs in general, like the failure with Asar, the failure Barcelona had with Griezmann, the failure Chelsea had with Lukaku... Signing these four, this is especially important for forwards. Signing a forward for 20 of like 28 years of age for like 100 million is something no big club should be doing at the moment. Just a gigantic no. Especially a club that is not desperate to do it, you know. Yeah. And actually, I would argue if you're desperate to do it, maybe that's a good time to not, not to do it as well. Um, so... <laughs> So like, look again. This is uh, if this was a situation where we're like, we're missing out on Champions League spots, and it's, things are just really bad. Things are not working out. There's a, 
there's maybe more of a reason to risk and stuff or or to go the other way and not risk and start promoting and being more patient. I don't know. But patience has been the game. Patience has been the game. And I think it. I've always erred on that side as well because you can go gung-ho and blow it up. But if you're going to do that, you got to make sure they fit your sporting project and they're good. And I think, you know. And it's, um, I think right now, uh, Real Madrid is kind of a, in a privileged position in terms of patience. It's like Barcelona cannot afford to be patient because they haven't won the league in three years. They see their opponent, their, their rival keeps winning Champions League somehow. So they feel that pressure. Bayern, for example, can afford to be patient because they have no competition in their local league. Uh, their home crowd, like their local fans actually... It's a bit like the English uh, club culture where they are not that obsessed about winning Champions League. So they I, so they still have pressure to win it, but it's not until massive. they win it and then they're going to think it's the most important trophy in the world. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh so then Real Madrid is in that kind of privileged situation where be, uh, and I think like the a thread I was reading by journalist Alberto Hea like really put it like really well. It's like this team is already legendary at this point like a lot of people in this team are just playing to just make the history books a bit longer. <laughs> and, and that gives the club like a lot of patience to build. Uh, of course, there are pros and cons of, of the approach. I think one thing that needs to be clear, for example, is that this season, Real Madrid was really just one, ex one Vinicius explosion away from an anxiety attack. You don't get a Vinicius breakthrough last season, you probably don't have a double and we are having an entirely different conversation this summer. Yep. And, 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 but this is also like, that's football. Those are the kind of fine, like these are the fine margins that apply to football games. And in a way they also kind of apply to transfer strategy. Uh, when you're a club this big, it's like, if Vinicius doesn't explode, then we're having a completely different conversation in terms of, of, of transfer strategy. Uh, Barcelona needs to have completely different conversations on market strategies uh, because of the pandemic. So it's mm, it's always kind of changing. So that's why, and and that's why I love talking to you and and other people on the management staff because it's always for us. It's always been process over results. So like that the margins of football are so small. Like one bounced the wrong way in the round of 16, we were out, we're out versus PSG. You know, one, God forbid, uh, Courtois is injured at some point and, you know, Lunin has to save Messi's penalty instead of him. And, like it, we're, we're out a long time ago. And so these margins can add up. So we're just kind of looking at the process. And um, if you're able to do it that way and kind of ignore outside noise and pressure and build it that way, it's, it's easier said than done, but that's that's something I think you always need to do. And I think a lot of the panic was induced by Barcelona's summer in itself. And I yeah. think Real Madrid had to just ignore that outside noise and just focus on building their their team. So Jose, I know we're out of time here. You got to go. This was a fun discussion, yeah. fun chat, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll probably catch up next week at some point. Thanks, Jose. Appreciate it. Yes, and I mean, I think in the next week or so there will be a bit of an article on this. Uh, just to give people uh, like a heads up, like this article will be based uh, on a thread from a journalist called Alberto Hea, who uh, the reason I love reading this guy is that like we are usually stuck like in that daily noise of transfer market news. And this guy is really good at just zooming out from that whole mess and just giving you the long term stuff, the long term trends. And that is like when you have a news feed that's ultra crowded. <laughs> 
you get lot like the long-term view gets lost and this guy is good at keeping it there. So that's kind of why I love reading his threats and I'm trying to translate some of it to English so that we can take this conversation into the English speaking space. So we're going to have that conversation in the next week. I think even for a future podcast, we can also start talking about what does this transfer policy mean for like the kind of player that Real Madrid looks for? Because I think there's a future conversation that we can have on like why players like Martin Odegaard failed at Real Madrid and say Valverde and Rodrigo haven't. So, which is, but that's a discussion for another time. It's a great one. I like these. These are good, really good talking points. We'll bring them, we'll pencil them in for future podcasts. We got a lot of content we need to put out for yep. the next year or so. So we'll, we'll save it. Thanks, Jose. I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. All right, before we wrap it up and send you guys along on your way, we wanted to give a quick shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Not only do patrons get exclusive access to episodes, but you can also be a guaranteed patron, which means you not only get guaranteed responses to your questions, but you also get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to these $10 plus patrons who do so much to support the show. We got Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Way Pering, Wamik Jamal, Umar Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tobias Arroyo Bacher, Tarek Goktas, Talib Salhab, Tahmid Kalam, Sujaiwani, Somanchu Singh, Shivam Tiwari, Sherry Sorio, Sheikh Atiri, Shamil, Shabazz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorsano, Samuli Justin, Samir Z, Said Mahad, Sai Mohan Sasi Kumar, Rodrigo Balmaceda, Rishi D, Phoenix, Peter Powell, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Odai Fadi, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicholas Zapatero Zubiare. Uh, scroll, scroll, page two. Nicholas Molo, Nick Ribeiro, Nelson Masariego, Muxi Thengal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Matthew Atkins, Martin Ridman, Logan Stahl, Leon Savernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Ian Marley, Graham Gerard, Gary Kohut, Frederick Antakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toft, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Ashik Bashar, Armin Gashi, Armando L. Antons Rudenko, Anirud Singh, Alexis Ceniceros, Al Azaz Hussein, Adrian Rios, Adar Zalikovic, Adam Dorsey and Bella Chow and Barun and Ramtin Makhrur, Fabian Moreno and Daniel Smith. Love you guys so much. Appreciate you all and Halamari.